Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show. The podcast is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. You can get 10% off your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name's Dan Moylan. Hello. With me, Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. So this is the podcast where we find out what's been said about Leeds United, both by you and by the opposition. We will have a look at what we got right, wrong, or in between. First, with the feedback that we get from our TSB Plus subscribers who sent us their feedback on the match ball, what they picked out, and the overriding theme from the 4-0 at Burnley, General smugness. I don't know if that's directed at us or Leeds United as a complete entity or what. I think it's the vibe is what I'm saying of it. Everyone's just very pleased, aren't they? You can look at that league table. You can laugh at the people who at the start of the season were saying we'd struggle. You can look above us even and laugh at Chelsea and Liverpool still scraping around trying to qualify for the Champions League. And we're just ace, even though we're firmly in mid-table. People really are running out of arguments, aren't they? There's just no criticism left of a, a team that's just come straight up from the championship the other two were gone the teams before us weren't this good the teams who were here last season are behind us there's never anything that people can really pick on so they just end up going just fucking eight leads and we're about to overtake Sheffield United's points total from last year as well which again was another thing earlier in the season people are like well you're doing well but you're not as good as Sheffield United still probably will be by the end of the season and as Stephen Clark pointed out as well, that took us to the same number of points as Huddersfield managed in their two seasons in the Premier League. So that's a nice little little one to chalk off as well. There's even with uh, Sheffield Wednesday going down that we've won more points. No, it was Derby. I'm getting my stats all mixed up. I think it was Derby that we have more points in the Championship since the playoff semi-final. We lost to Derby than Derby do. That's brilliant. I know you do like to praise yourself, Moscow. So I'm, I want to take a lead from you, always telling us how good you are and how correct you always I mean, are. That's not true. And I would like to draw your attention to what I said on last week's podcast, which was this: I think we will score four goals against Burnley. So what's that got to do with me? Why am I somehow set up as the fall guy for your lack of modesty? I'm saying I got it right. That's all I'm saying. That's all you needed to say. Leave me out of your little... We were talking about general smugness. This is specific smugness. Thanks to Liam, yeah, Clarkey, uh, Dom, Tom and, and Anthony who all uh, singled out the, the general smugness, but also highlighting how good we are at the minute. Melier on fire, said Liam. Jackie's crossing. Rodrigo back in form. Click strong, not anymore. Uh, Ailing great. Phillips, the best Leeds player in a decade. But Alioski with that face just made the game. Hmm. I mean, I don't know if we should talk about the face in any great detail given we don't fully know anything else if it was just the face 
and that's the extent of the complaint, I'm fine. I'm not worried. If anything was said, we don't know. But if it was just that he was annoyed that someone pulled a face at him, then that's fine. We are recording on Monday lunchtime and Marcelo Bielsa's press conference was earlier this morning and he seemed to suggest it was not quite clear from the language because it's obviously been filtered through the translation, but it seemed to be that that was the thrust of the complaint. It's what has been documented. It is one of those where, especially after the whole Farago, the the long drawn out problems with Kiko Casilla, where at the end of that, Jonathan Lico said, I wish I hadn't fucking bothered because this is just tortuous. The, I wonder if anybody at Leeds, having gone through that, tried to just get it sorted before leaving Turf Moor. I don't know if you're even allowed to, because legal people get involved if solicitors want to have their say, and everyone's going to be very careful about admitting anything. But it does. It just felt like one that either you try to get the chief execs together, you get the managers together, eventually the players together, if you kind of just say, look, can we find out what the problem was and sort it out before we leave here and decide whether we need to go any further or from the FA who will receive the referee's report and will launch an investigation and will drag it out for months. If they want to take accusations of racism, if there has been one in this case, seriously in general, they seem to confuse taking it seriously with taking fucking ages to sort it out. Have something set up where the day after the game, everyone can get on a Zoom call and sort it out, have the hearing then and there so that it doesn't drag on for weeks and months as it did with the Casilla one and everybody's left wondering what the hell happened, and then the details end up lost months ago in the uh, the mist of time. If it's serious, and if we want to tackle racism in the game, sort it out as soon as you possibly can, and then we don't sit here going, should we talk about this? Do we know what to say about it? What's happened? I think the reason why we're not talking about it, though, is because we're not quite sure yet what the extent of it is. Exactly. Well, That's but, what well, I mean. That's why I sort it out straight away, and then they can either come out the day after the game and say, right, Alioski and McNeil have spoken to each other. They've agreed it was a, a big misunderstanding. Alioski has apologised anyway and everything's fine. Everybody's shaking hands and we've all moved on and then we don't have to talk about it. But instead, we learn this from the Casilla one where this weeks and weeks go by with, with not knowing what's going on. I would love it if they just sorted it out quickly and then we can talk about it and then we know what we're talking about and we're not in this kind of fog of mystery and we can laugh or not laugh or be outraged or not outraged or or what well we'll reserve judgment on it until we know what the facts are but based on what's been said so far i agree with you michael if it's just the face it feels like it's been blown out of all proportion because we know what Janny's like he's just a little bit like that and there's enough examples of other people doing more or less the exact same face in other situations there's like mr bean has done it and there's cartoon cartoon characters have done it and stuff and and i think it's fine if it's just the face after he He'd done it. I thought it was brilliant. I was like, oh, brilliant. There's Johnny doing his thing. And then everyone was getting spoken to about it. And then there was the post-game comments. And you start thinking, because if, if that had something else? If that, if that had come with a soundtrack that went, you'd go, ah, great. But anyway, we'll we'll find out what's going on with that. Let's talk about something better than that, that Tom um, has picked out. The passing, the one-touch, the flicks, and that 15-yard um, chest down. Was it Stuart Dallas, I believe, who did it for the fourth goal? I'm still confused between Rodrigo's two goals, because... They were similar-ish in style and very close together, and my brains just confused them all into one excited noise. When you've seen one striker going round Bailey Peacock, Farrell at ease, you've seen them all. Before this um, game, I was looking at Burnley's stats for the very detailed tactical preview that I put in the propaganda emails before every match, and I noticed that Leeds are the Premier League's leaders 
for passes made with neither the head nor boot. And I thought that was a curious thing for people to be measuring. But then watching Stuart Dallas, I mean, it's not just the uh, the distance the ball travels from his pectorals. It's the noise. I don't know what he's, maybe it hit the sensor on his catapult bra, but it was a real, it was almost as satisfying as then the one-touch boom that uh, Calvin sent across the pitch to Jackie Harrison, which on the all the angles, videos that you can watch, you can hear somebody shouts boom. And I don't know who it is. I have, I have a feeling it's got that little bit of Luke Haling-ness to it. And you, you're looking for somebody who's near a pitch side microphone. It might be somebody in the stands. But Calvin sends that pass and somebody shouts boom. And then it's on Jackie's foot. And then Rodrigo's doing the rest. Martin picked out that pass, actually. He, was, um, he says the ball reminded him of Freddie Truman. He says, my granddad saw him feel from the boundary at Scarborough and when throwing it in the ball, stayed four foot off the ground the entire way from the boundary to the stumps. That's how fucking Yorkshire that ball was. <laughs> and if it did hit his catapult bra, Moscow, by the way, he would have backed it down rather than chest it down because the, the sensors are in between the shoulder blades. And I wouldn't put it past Bielsa's side to be able to do that or to be training it because if it's anything to give us an extra percentage or an edge over the opposition... Why not just knock it down with your shoulder blades? If anybody knows how to put a bra on the right way around, it's Stuart Dallas. Burnley's style was picked out by a number of people, actually. Ad Sham, not having it. Says they're just What's the actual point of it all? And their constant uh, leaving a bit on our players calls them wankers. Justice done, we're proper good, aren't we? Etc. Yes, we are. That was the main aspect that I took from re-watching Burnley, is the leaving a bit. And then well, a little bit back towards the Alioski thing, but it was Westwood. Before that, it had a, a go at Rafinha in exactly the same style for staying down after a foul as McNeil then did to Alioski. And it seems, you know, there was enough of it going on. It was Tchaikovsky doing it to Urente in the first half as well. Was kind of It seems to be a, a part of Deitch's system is that you kick the other team's players really hard and then when they go down, you laugh at them as if they're soft. And that's part of the, the Burnley way. And in this instance... Rafinha, when he walked off the pitch with that face of thunder, it was because he wasn't being allowed to go and have another go at Westwood. He'd been subbed, subbed off before he could go and uh, organise his own style of justice. And Alioski, the whole instigation of that situation is because McNeil got right in his ear and either spat or shouted in his ear about the fact that he'd stayed down after a tackle. So if Burnley didn't do any of that, then it would make life a lot better for everybody involved because, as I put in my match report, you're supposed to kick the football, not the other players. Now that sounds a bit Puritan, and when you support the team of Billy Bremner and David Batty, it sounds a bit ironic at best. But, you know, the rules are that you can't kick the other players because then it's a foul and it's a free kick, and that's what the referee says. No, don't kick the legs, kick the ball. Whereas Burnley, it's all about kick the ball and shout at them and lose 4-0. Aiden and Jimbo picked out the ref as well, saying asking about that, the foul to Bamford in the build-up to Click's goal, because that did look like the sort of thing people get sent off for. If they pull it back and actually they show it frame by frame and the slower they make it, the worse it looks. As it was, I think because we scored, it was pretty much ignored. Double jeopardy, isn't it? They don't like that. But it was it was a filthy thing to do. He just he clearly saw Bamford running past him and just thought, I'm just going to boot him. But what about Urente did to Vidra at the other end, eh? What about that first? Did nothing to Vidra. Indulging in the dark arts. Yeah, Aiden that you mentioned there, he's 
picked out the ref and he said that he gave us nothing and gave them everything. And I know we always think that, don't we? They always think that the refs are conspiring against our team, but maybe is it just Burnley getting away with the dark arts a bit more than we do? I think it's the double standard of Burnley that is a bit annoying because they do moan like fuck. I think sometimes Deitch tries to brand them as a bit of a throwback as in like, this is how football used to be in the good old days. But like Chris White never used to moan when Mark Hughes booted him. He just kind of got on with it and booted him later. And it was, it was that almost wasn't agreed part of the game then. Whereas Ben Mee went down when Bamford just put, he, he looked like Bamford might foul him. So Ben Mee went down in a heap. But that's diving just as it is diving to win a penalty. It's the same, it's the exact same thing, but Deitch would, he would support that. Whereas if, if, if someone dives to win a penalty against his team, he would think that was filthy foreign cheating. Well, Moscow, I'm going to defer to you on this one, but let's talk about Bailey Peacock-Farrell. And Brent in particular said, I don't think you were critical enough of Bailey Peacock-Farrell for the fourth goal. He charged out, then for some reason just stopped dead, standing there like a witch's hat. Then Rodrigo goes around him and he does that hilarious dive that we know so well. He is rubbish, isn't he? I, <laughs> I felt like I didn't want to just stick the boot in because I'm a nice person. Try to be Bielsa. I mean, Bielsa's turned up really since Bailey Peacock Farrell went away. We only had him for like half a season in goal under Bielsa. I've tried to learn to be better, to be more generous of spirit, to understand the challenges that some people face as they, they go through the world. And I think the, the challenges that Bailey Peacock Farrell faces being a goalkeeper just become clearer and clearer game by game. And unfortunately, whoscored.com do seem to have his, uh, his measure. I, I looked this up. Out of fairness to Bailey Peacock Farrell, I thought we're, we're slagging him off because we think it's funny, but he's a professional footballer. He's, he's good at certain things, isn't he? He's, so, he's international. Better, and he's better at goalkeeping than I am. So I went on whoscored.com. I thought, what are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? His weakness is long passing. Fair enough. I never thought his long passing was that bad, actually, but maybe it's, maybe it's the way Burnley play. And saving long shots, which we knew about. And then we can move on to his strengths. Yeah. Which are nil. His style of play is interesting, though. He likes to punch the ball. Mm. which is um, better than, you know, his own face, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean... And, and if you drill down to the stats a little bit more, he's on the plus side, he's he's saved 44% of shots on target against him. That's nearly half. That's, he's that's... Ni- so, ni- so if you shoot, there's an almost 50% chance he will save it, which is... Which is good. He concedes an average of three and a half goals every ninety minutes. I mean, they, did, they did put him in against Manchester City, didn't they? So that's and straight us. away five goals and us. I mean, yeah, but then you look at where we play really attacking style. Melier one and a half goals per ninety minutes. Nick Pope, who's their who's their first choice actual good goalkeeper, one point one six. You it's, wonder what it's they're hard, thinking. It's hard to justify his business. I know statistically speaking, he's only played four games, so his stats are skewed a bit. But other than goalkeepers who've just played one game, he is basically the worst by an absolute mile. There's some proper chicken and egg here as well, because uh, maybe those stats explain why he's only played four games. Although, I mean, he's behind England's Nick Pope, so he's not going to be getting ahead of him ever. ever. <laughs> if you look at the individual match ratings that who scored produce as well, I mean, like Melier on the weekend, 7.9. He's had 8.58 against Chelsea, 7.28 against... West Ham, 7.29 against Man City, 7.33. The lowest was 5.99. Whereas you look at Bailey Peacock Farrell, it's all between 4.72 and 6.8. I mean, the maybe the to turn this negative into a positive. No, it's still negative. How the hell did Burnley, was it three and a half million pounds they gave to us for him? 
And we added a million and a half on top of that and bought Ilan Melier, who, and this is where I'm trying to get to with the positive, is every week just one of our best players. And there is a, um, I think Sean Dyche was maybe overdoing it on Saturday when he was saying, what was it about not being a million miles away? I I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) You were such bollocks. I think those were basically his words, that they, they weren't a million miles away and they had some chances and the goalkeepers made some saves. But it's true. Melier, uh, that save from Vidra, um, and there was at least one other. But they're, they're almost regulation now. We had them. We have them in every game. Where does go? Really good save from Ilan Melier keeps the score down for us. And it's a long time since we had a goalkeeper who started every game who you felt was going to keep goals against low. Whatever happened, even if we're you know. How how many would Scum have put past us at Old Trafford if we had Felix Fiedfeld in goal that day? And that's going back to, it's probably Rob Green, and even then it was only the second half of the season because he started off well ropey. Going back that far to find a goalkeeper that we actually had the, as much confidence in, and the one that we have the confidence in is compared to Bailey Peacock Farrell, still a baby. It's extraordinary. Kit points out that he, he thinks it's actually been the biggest difference in the team from Bielsa's first 18 months is having a proper goalkeeper because we did have Bailey Peacock-Farrell, then we had the Casilla experiment, we'll call it, I don't know, whatever it was with him in net every week, just constantly making mistakes. And even then it wasn't just Derby, Ipswich two weeks before and then the Charlton game that had all the controversy after it. We, we lost that one because he tried to punch a ball on his goal line and it went three yards. All the time it was always a mess. Games do turn on moments and Deitch maybe had a point when you reflect on Vidra's chance that Melier saved with his foot. I mean, that, we were already winning. But if they'd you know, put that one in, it could change the momentum of the game. But nah. I mean, we, we would have dicked them. You, you're absolutely correct. Buy a better goalkeeper then, Sean. This is one option. He moans about not having enough... some better strikers. That's true. He moans about not having enough money to spend though and saying, oh, compared to X, Y and Z. What does he say? <laughs> Can't be bothered. <laughs> um... But there you don't, go, listeners. Don't Michael spend... can't be bothered doing the, the thing that everybody loves, your favourite part of the show. Sorry, everyone. I'm trying to make a serious point here about, about using a, using his money badly. Add some gravity to it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to have money to spend, so I've had to buy this pile of shit instead. You see how much more serious it sounds when you, you so, do that voice. That's why Sean Dyche talks that way. <laughs> They're not listening to this for analysis, are they? Let's face it. Um, yeah, Melier was picked out by Rachel, who said um, his contribution can't be overstated. Sarah and Kit both um, flagging him up as, as being brilliant. Kit saying we've got a world-class goalkeeper for the first time since Nigel Martin. It is weird how good he is. He shouldn't be as good as he is. For the money we've paid, for how old he is, for the way he's so skinny. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have paid a lot of money for Rodrigo as well. He was picked out, we mentioned him earlier, but Mike and um, Patcher, Paul, Jake and Ryan all singled him out for praise. And it is, it's nice to get the redemption, but it's an obvious one. Let's look at stuff that's not perhaps so obvious in the other column when it comes to this. Your favourite topic, Moscow, Sarah, says Tyler Roberts had a shot at goal, but he drilled it straight at the keeper. I know Michael was coaching him to hit the ball really, really hard, but maybe not directly at the keeper. Has Michael any other coaching tips for Tyro? And Moscow's taken over because it's more as like a mentor, though, I think, um, than a than an actual coach. To be honest, if he's, if he's not learnt enough from their time together at the club to shoot to his side... Then sell Roberts now. I don't care. Newcastle are offering 10 million. He can go. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. In this part of uh, Propaganda, we dig into what's been said by other fans of other clubs. And, I mean, do Burnley have any fans? I mean, that stadium was empty, obviously, at the weekend. Does it normally have any humans in it? Uh, partly. Partly human. This is... T- <laughs> have you been to Burnley? There are, uh, by the away end, you always get a little collection of uh, real odd freaks who just like to like to spend their entire game just looking, gawping at the outsiders and, and sticking two fingers up, which yeah, is it's it, kind of entertaining. You'd often think the circus was in town. It's not. It's just what they all look like. But this guy, however, he looks like a looks like a fine chap. <laughs> we might remember him from the first game. He's got quite a lot of face tattoos, neck tattoos, just tattoos everywhere, I think. In a slightly scary way, you could argue. But um, he's got long grey hair now, though, which I think is taken away from it slightly. It looks a bit more like a WWF wrestler or something rather than a a serious hardened criminal. Um, oh, well, I'll definitely fight one of those. <laughs> Especially with the two little teardrops just under his eye. Yeah, what, is that for murders or...? I think that's when you've killed someone in prison, is it? Okay. Well, he was criticising the pre-game and, and he's every right to do so. <laughs> Come on, Burrows. I hope we win today. Sick of hearing all the pundits creaming themselves over Leeds. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Am. I think, they've, you know, oh, with, they, well, they play good football. Well, they might play good football, but end of the day... It's about putting the ball in the onion bag. It's not just about how you play football. So we don't score enough goals, seems to be his complaint about Leeds. He's scored 20 more goals than Burnley prior to this game. And afterwards, 24 goals more. So what's his point? His point was it's about putting in the onion bag, which we did multiple times. Which, so. we, which we do do. So you can play nice football, but you've got to score goals. Well, but, maybe what, what you've taken as criticism was praise. <laughs> quite possibly. I think one thing I did quite enjoy about this guy versus the the Spurs expressions oozing bloke who was massively over the top. This guy's really understated when the goals were rattling in against this team. He just, fuck it, was more or less his opinion of it. Which you would feel like if you had to live in Burnley. So this first one is 1-0. Oh, shit. We have 2-0. Fucking 2-0. 
And then we have 3 0. Fucking hell. 3 0. Brilliant. Game's over now. Fuck's sake. Absolutely fucking awful. By the time it got to 4 0, his stream was behind and people were all commenting the score before it happened and he was getting quite upset by it. So he's not going, there's no proper footage of the fourth one going in because he's kind of already seen it and he, you, don't get to, you don't get to see it unfolding uh, live, which is a bit of a shame. Not a fan of us, though, is he? He reads out every comment that comes in, presumably from his tiny audience uh, out there in Burnley. Well, they don't have the internet, do they? I'm not like belittling his output. I'm sure it's great. I mean, he does seem to read out every comment, whether he, or not he hates it or not, which is a bit weird. He could just not, but he, he's, he's sticking with it anyway. So this is a little selection of, of things he read out through there. And um, anyone who said they hated Leeds, he basically just he couldn't help but agree. Me too, mate, six. Fucking Leeds, 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 Bielsa, Leeds, Leeds, Bielsa, Leeds, oh fuck off. Emma Dash, you know, we pull one back, don't really hate Leeds, but they've struggled, uh, but Leeds has they struggled at their club, but I do want Burnley win. Yeah, sorry Emma, but I hate Leeds. Kevin Henderson does us BT support, support Leeds, you'd fucking think so, mate, yeah. Where they go on about him, them and Bielsa, it's ridiculous. Emma, my family hates Leeds, yeah, me too. Not the only one, Emma. How'd you hit, hit Leeds, yeah, me too, mate. Tom Clark, Leeds, 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 yeah. Another one will get fucking blocked. Don't need you dickheads on here. Thank you. Place probably on the beach now you're safe. I won't let the result get you down now, mate. Well, it does because it's Leeds, mate. He's like a paramilitary Paddy McGuinness, isn't he, the way that he sounds? Like, just sort of resigned, but bubbling angry. He's good at reading. By Burnley standards. Well, I'm just saying, that's you, you're asking why he reads out every comment. Because he can. Showing off. Let's move on to Lewis. Uh, Lewis Paul, the Burnley fan, who's... Is he a little bit more jolly than our tattooed friend? Not really. Uh, this is a super cut of, of the word for it. I am absolutely appalled at that. I'm truly appalled at that. More appalled. It is appalling. It's appalling and, it's, and it is appalling. He's posh Burnley, isn't he, this one? He should change the name of his channel. He's called Paul. So why isn't it? Appalling Burnley with Paul, or you know, appalling. Lewis Paul is banging on about everything is appalling. He's completely missing a trip. Maybe he doesn't know he says it, which would be weird because he says it all the time. The second clip is about James Tarkowski, who, who Burnley fans really love, and they're all when you kind of watch some of their clips, they're all desperate for him to stay over summer because they think he's their best player and stuff. In this game, he wasn't any good, as proven by the fact we kept just running around him. But Lewis seems he seems like he struggled to process it. And it's maybe realising through explaining his performance that it wasn't any good, but he can't quite bring himself to blame him. James Tarkowski, I thought, actually was pretty good as well today, um, defensively. Conceded four goals, though. Um, four very easy goals that kind of just slipped past him. Same with Ben May. He was pretty good, but he conceded four goals that could have been defended with a little bit of grit. There's nothing much more I can really say about that, to be totally honest. I, I thought they were good other than the times where they just let goals happen. There was that motorway pilot, but he's a really good driver. Really good driver. He's very much into my coaching manual there. Of the main bit of defending, it does need to be to not let goals happen as a, on a basic level. He's like, <sighs> apart from that, he was pretty good, wasn't Faultless. he? Faultless. 10 out of 10, apart from the four things he did wrong that cost goals. Well, maybe it wasn't Tarkovsky's fault. Maybe it was Bailey Peacock Farrell's. He is spot on with this. Um, Bailey Peacock Farrell had nothing to do other than save some goals that just went in. <laughs> yeah, very, very familiar with that. <laughs> it's his career in a nutshell. It's like, 
he just didn't really stop any, did he? That seems to be the the gist. It's like he, there weren't any mistakes as such. Just didn't stop any of the balls that went towards him. He was very vocal though. Commanded his penalty area very well when uh, when Burnley were attacking. That offside shout was big. It was very he did, big. He, did, very he didn't instant. move, obviously. The, the fastest reflexes I've uh, ever seen from Bailey. I mean, the arm went up very quickly. Maybe his arms and legs can't move at the same time. And that's been an issue throughout throughout the career. I feel that might limit his ability as a keeper going forward. But we'll see. We'll yeah, see. I mean, he's making a very good career of it. It's one of those things, if he's only acting dumb, he's doing it very well. It's amazing how he's uh, he is a Premier League goalkeeper. And yet you really struggle... I suppose he saved that one time for Northern Ireland, didn't he? He's brilliant. I take it all back. In the wider world of propaganda, if you are new to the show, Steve Nicholl, former Liverpool player, he's the most morose, sad man who comments on football. He's employed by ESPN to offer his thoughts on the Premier League and quite often they are dour to the point of being hilarious. So presumably, did he love this game? Well, it wasn't this game, wasn't this one, because he he wasn't on our the Leeds-Burnley match but he was on the Liverpool match and obviously he's a Liverpool fan we all know what happened Alisson scoring the goal in the last minute it means they're still in the race of the Champions League it's the first time a Liverpool goalkeeper has ever scored a league goal for them and what a story as well I mean that, the whole thing with Alisson's father dying during the season and the, the the mistakes he's made that have been difficult the, everything about it is just a, a beautiful tear-jerking story with you know Alison himself bursting into tears on the, the pitch when he'd, he'd done this thing. The emotion was just incredible. Even as a, you know, not a Liverpool fan, but as a human being, you, you felt you were, you were witnessing something really quite special while that was happening. You think you've seen everything, and then all of a sudden something happens and you're shaking your head. And today's another one. Never thought I'd see that Liverpool, go- a Liverpool goalkeeper coming up, the last touch of the game with such a fantastic header. To keep the championship uh, or the the Champions League hopes alive, something happened. I mean, he chuckled. <laughs> there was a chuckle there. You got to imagine he's maybe the only person that never found Bruce Grobelar's antics amusing. So while we were all going, "Oh bloody hell, that's amazing!" The keeper scored. You only see this once every ten years, and it's oh, it's so crucial. It's the last touch of the game. What a story! What a, what a romantic story arc we've seen there. You must feel something, as you said, Moscow, as a human being. Something happened. <laughs> He really paints a picture with words, doesn't he? Unfortunately, it's um, it's generally munches the scream. At the other end of the table, Hecky, bless him. Now, there's somebody who'll he, we, bring we, the best out of any moment. We did say we needed him to get some wins to get this job permanently, and he's not letting us down. Thank you, Everton. They were excellent at, at Goodison. Heckenbottom, one, Carlo Ancelotti, nil. Who, let's not forget, by the way, Stevie Nicholl, when uh, Yuri was asked who's the best manager outside like outside Pep, he went, <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti. Well, he better rethink that now, hadn't he? So what did Hecky have to say in the, well, I think we can guess, in the wake of winning at Goodison Park? I've got a clip first from before the game. I know there's some talk about his role and whether or not he'll be staying on as manager and stuff. I think, I think here he's maybe hinting that he's going to move upstairs because I, th- I feel like this is a new... The flat empty? <laughs> this is a new path for him. Results have been tough to come by. Also, everybody can see that. We can see the uh, the struggles of the season, whether that's been on the pitch, whether it's been off the pitch. <laughs> He's amazing. You go on pitch and off pitch, with ball, without ball. <laughs> it's just it's just which way you look at it, isn't it? Whether you're not, you're looking at the overview of the club, and then you need to get on pitch and off pitch, right? Two sides to every story, isn't there? The oven's either on or it's off. But having won the game, 
he's probably looking at the manager's job again. So I'm sure you can guess what's coming. What was he happy with from the game? I thought we we were good on the ball. Yeah, I agree, totally agree. But I think the fact we were so good without the ball gave us that confidence and that structure to play from. So we always had bodies around the ball when we won it back. We had young Jebo, whose role was in the team was to try and stretch it, make the pitch big, and then we create space for the other players to get on the ball. So, yeah, we, we were good. I agree. We were good today, pleased with us with the ball, without the ball. And it was a strong performance, definitely, and it deserved three points. Bodies around the ball is one of his other little favourites that goes under the radar sometimes, but I do quite like his references to bodies around ball. So that was at the immediate post-match press conference, I think, where everyone can where everyone can go in. And then after that, he was back talking to Sheffield United. I guess it's their internal media people. It's the, the one that goes on their, their YouTube channel, so like their version of Bryn. And do we think he'd found anything new to say? Undoubtedly. I mean, there's always something fresh to say about a football match, isn't there? Especially one that you've won as comprehensively over such a great manager. From start to finish, excellent. Without the ball, the best I've seen for, for a long time. And I shared that with the players. Um, but with the ball in spells, we were really good as well. What lucky players they are to have that shared with them. Not like, you know, somebody brings in cakes on the birthday or something. No, just want to share with you. Well, ball. His team good. talks must be something else because you know what he's saying. You know exactly what he's saying to those players, don't you? He's got two things to say. He wants them to do stuff with the ball. Well, you got to remember, because when we listen to those clips from him at Leeds, that he's got his two formations he's got to try to get across that they might be uh, either 4 3 3 or 4 4 2 without ball, but whip ball, you shouldn't be able to tell what they're playing. So, trying to tell tell the players that and get them to, to buy into that idea, quite a, a, a difficult. But, it, I mean, if anybody can do it, it's Paul Hackingbottom, and there he is. What's that, six points? Seven? He got a draw at one point, didn't he? He's done a great job. I've just he? lost count of how many points he's racking up in this Premier League. He needs to be given it permanently, doesn't he? Let's start the campaign now. I'm not sure if Sheffield United fans are as keen on it, but we know what he can do. With ball. With Eki. And without ball. Without Eki. Uh, let's go and talk about Chelsea, because we've spoken about that internet simpleton, Rory Jennings, who has made himself YouTube famous somehow just by talking about Chelsea. I mean, we put ourselves out there to be shot down. We talk about Leeds United. We offer our opinions. There's just something very special about Rory. Uh, what's he been saying then? Because Chelsea, you know, they lost the FA Cup final. And we all know what happened with the VAR, one of the great moments in football, because it wasn't us. He was doing a watch along with True Geordie, which is a YouTube, I think it's on Twitch now actually, a channel where they, they, there's a mixture, like he's a Newcastle fan, there's a Man United fan, then a Leicester fan on. And it was just basically all of them laughing in his face while he got more and more angry, which was, which was nice to see. Does work a lot. Offside, are we offside? Oh, so- no. Are we outside? Are we outside? Oh my god! Please be outside. Yeah, please, please, be please put the camera on his oh face. Oh my god! Please be outside. Get the camera on Rory. Like you're here. It could be an offside. <laughs> please be outside. Please be offside. Not because right. I don't want to. Eighty-ninth minute. Epic. Epic. Oh yes! Fucking brilliant! Fuck off! Oh, well, go on. I'm glad I took you there. Oh, my Grand God. Bit. Yeah. That's just a disgraceful decision. It obviously wasn't offside, was it? Oh, yeah. I saw it. It wasn't. It was offside. It's come up offside. That was like me with that queen yesterday. It's offside, look. It's miles off. See, that's really disingenuous. The Leicester fans are cheering VAR. That's fucking pathetic. It's not disingenuous. They're cheering when you a cop That's not offside. It's miles offside. Miles off. Oh, no way. 
Ah, oh, bless him. Oh, he's not happy, is he? Then? Fuck off. It's disingenuous. Here's a big word. It's great that they're all saying, it's Miles offside. What are you moaning? <laughs> and he's not He's not getting the joke, is he? They're just being like, yeah, of course, he's Miles off. Look at it. Look at it. He's not offside. They're going, he's offside because it said it's offside. But it's not. And I, and I know it is frustrating when it goes against you, but it's funny now. Yes, Rory. They're laughing with you, Rory. They're laughing with you, not that, at you. That's why they're yelling, get the camera on him. I think <laughs> if that's happening to you, if you're Rory in that situation, you'd hope a light bulb might go off and you'd think, am I being brought here as a figure of fun? I'm not sure Rory has that level of self-awareness, but it's good for the rest of us. You yes, know, what? Uh, whilst he thinks he's baiting the rest of us, we're just like laughing at the simpleton. It's the level of, I don't know, if, what kind of awareness it is to look at a crowd of celebrating football fans and accuse them of being disingenuous. <laughs> Of course they are. It's limbs. Look right. at those disingenuous people. <laughs> Eight thousand of them in Wembley saying, "Well, we really we're against VAR on a conceptual yes, level, so they, we shouldn't we shouldn't really uh, celebrate this because it kind of goes against our uh, general moral outlook." They had an opportunity to make a stand, didn't they? Those Leicester fans, and they did not. They should have just marched out, or <laughs> at least all sing a song to the referee, give them the goal. Bielsa would have. We know that, even though we've never won the FA Cup before, it would be nice. A nice story if the club with all the Russian billions were to win it. I think that's what the FA Cup's all about, isn't it? Well, it would have been uh, equalised the score, wouldn't it? So they would have taken it to extra time and then they could have played it fairly and settled it on the pitch. Like men. Yes. What about Chelsea Fan TV then, the bloke filming from inside Wembley? This is in some ways even nicer because you can... He's, he's actually in the, he's in the lower tier at Wembley. He's filming it. We start off, he's celebrating an equaliser, and by the end of it, the despair has fully kicked in. Thank God, yes! Yes! Come on! No, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, can't be arsed, don't even fucking take the piss. No! Fuck off! I'm done. I'm done. I'm fucking done. Fucking knew it. Every damn time it's us. Can't be fucking arse. Game's done now. Game is fucking done. Their heads will have dropped now because of that. Fuck right off. Biggest load of bullshit, man. But so you know VAR's back. Fucking bullshit, man. He says he knew it. I don't think he did know it. I think he was celebrating at the start of that clip like he didn't know it was going to be disallowed. It came as a surprise to him, didn't it? Hence the uh, the emotional reaction. And let's be honest about this. While we're all laughing at the Chelsea fans, what we're all really doing is putting ourselves in the shoes of the Leicester fans here, aren't we? Who think, oh, no, that moment of utter devastation at full time. They've equalised. We know that in extra time they're going to have the run of us. They're probably the better side overall. You know, Tuchel's sides are hard to score past. This is a tragedy. My toes are full of crisps. That as well. And then to get that VAR announcement you would go absolutely batshit mental. And I feel like we were all Leicester fans in not the sense that Gary Lineker is, but in the sense that we were all in their shoes at that moment. Shoes full of crisps. It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? That's why I'm glad I don't support Leicester. Maybe one day we'll get there. And I'm sure we'll be on the receiving end of that rather than on, on the happy end. I think all we have to take from Leicester winning the FA Cup final, it's obviously a, a fabulous achievement. And it's something that the um, it's the first time they've, they've ever 
won it a fantastic day in the history of a of a football club with a a long history and only a, a handful of people for the foxes have been successful at Wembley and it's a day maybe to remember them all Mike Whitlow being chief among them all I hope he uh, he enjoyed his weekend especially he remember his um, boxing day howitzer into the top corner in the rain against Chelsea for Leeds United at Elland Road Everything just came together for it was a perfect uh, weekend, a celebra- uh, celebration of Mike Whitlow's life and career. And it's no coincidence that we have a photograph of Mike Whitlow here in our TSB studio. I mean, it's a drawing, but, you know, I know your eyes aren't what they were. Right, well, that wraps up propaganda for this episode. We will return with the main podcast feed in the next 24 to 48 hours. It's been a bit of a mess because of the Southampton game, hasn't it? So we'll have more propaganda from post-Southampton, the usual show on the way, and... Uh, as we, well, we go around the final bend of the season. and so a load of people saying, I knew that Titanic was going to sink. Always does. We'll catch you in a bit. See you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 